father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Hey, Joanna. Hey, what? May the fifth be with you. And also with you. That's right. It's the Star Wars Day, May, May 5th. May 5th. As everybody knows, this is the day when we celebrate Star Wars, because it sounds just like that famous Star Wars line, May the Sith be with you. Yes. It's also the origin of Cinco de Mayo. Little did you know, it's because of Star Wars' outrageous popularity in Mexico. They even, ay, 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 these Star Wars are loco. They are muy bueno. Let's have a... Me gusta. Let's have a fiesta to celebrate. And they said it exactly like that, with really terrible Spanish interspersed into English. Yes. Yes. No, yesterday was May the 4th. Do you know when exactly people started doing that? Whenever the Lucasfilm Corporation noticed the marketing synergy involved. Do you really think, is that really where it came from? The last, first time I remember seeing it was in like 2008 or 2007. It was going on Facebook at the time that on May the 4th you would post like, which Star Wars character are you? And everyone's like, I'm Boba Fett. Cause I'm like not literally cool. everybody. Like, I'm Han Solo because I make jokes. And I'm like, I'm C-3PO because I'm effeminate and prissy. And you can do a pretty good British accent. Yeah. I mean, everyone's like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm badass. I'm Darth Nobody's Vader. Nobody's Jabba. I'm... Nobody picks Jabba. I'd be Jabba. You'd be Jabba? I want to be Jabba. I don't think so. Because I'm fat and sassy. I don't think it's that. I don't know who I would be, honestly. I don't know. I still stand by either, you know, like some combination of like 3PO and Jar Jar Binks for me. Yeah. No, that fits you. That fits you for sure. Because I'm a gangly doofus who is very uptight. And so that fits me pretty good. And sometimes you talk in ways that could be misconstrued as... Racist! Racist! Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I'm just kidding. Against right? British Does people. not do that. Yes, against British, against British people. Your blatant racism against British people. Call blinding. Finally calling it it's out. It's me, C-3PO. <laughs> the droid. Hello, governor. That was May 4th. Uh, we actually went to a live podcast My brother, show. my brother, and me. Yesterday, and they did the first 40% about Star Wars. They thought it didn't go very well, but I loved it. I loved it. Apparently some people were tweeting like, I don't know anything about Star Wars. I didn't enjoy yeah, this. Yeah, there's these girls behind me like, I just slept through the first 15 minutes because I just didn't know anything about Star Wars. I've never seen these. It's not my thing. Well, you know how you'd know things about Star Wars? If you listen to our gosh dang podcast. Yeah, seriously. Then you'd know. Yeah. I have Lord of the Rings news. All right. This is like the weirdest. I don't even know how reputable this is because it comes from a book written by a British film journalist called Anything You Can Imagine, Peter Jackson and the Making of Middle Earth. This is supposedly something that happened in about 1998. Um, this was when Peter Jackson was trying to make the Lord of the Rings films as produced by Harvey Weinstein. Okay, now, just real quick. Yeah. You're calling this news. This is this is 20 years ago. Well, this book just came out, and oh, this, okay. st- this story just came out. All right. Um, yeah, no, it's not exactly, well, it's new to us. Anyway, so he's trying to make it under legendary a-hole and sex pest Harvey Weinstein. Our favorite. Uh, everybody's favorite. Oh, my God. Just looking at this picture of him, he's such a gross man. I America's just... gropey uncle. Oh, seriously. So... Harvey Weinstein, Peter Jackson at the time was trying to condense things into two films. Mm-hmm. And Harvey Weinstein threatened him that if he didn't condense it into one and make some other changes, for example, making Eowyn Boromir's sister so Faramir could be written out, um, not including Helm's Deep, and also cutting the Balrog and most of Soromon's scenes. If he didn't make these changes, then Harvey was going to throw him out as the director and get Quentin Tarantino. Okay, now... I think he might be dumb. <laughs> what, Harvey Weinstein? Almost yeah. certainly. But at the same time, I would love to see a Quentin Tarantino one movie, entire Lord of the Rings. Would you? Instead of, would you want to see that instead of the Peter Jackson trilogy? No, no but I'd like to visit the alternate universe where that's the one that came out instead. And I'll come Just back. visit, though. Just visit, yeah. Just I visit. I want to get a copy on DVD and then come back to our world. I feel like it would be funny to watch for like five minutes and then you'd just be like, yeah, this is... 
this is Tarantino does Lord of the Rings. This is what it is. But it's going to be cool and edgy. And it's going to have cool, like, 60s surf music. And Hobbit's going to be, like, effing and jeffing. And There's going to be a lot of long, rather profane conversations that are kind of hypnotic, punctuated by intense violence. Guns. Guns. So that never happened, obviously. And Peter Jackson had a terrible time working with Harvey Weinstein and took his movies elsewhere. One other sad aspect of this story, though, is that while Peter Jackson was working with Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein and the people at Miramax told him that he should, under no circumstances, hire Ashley Judd or Mira Savino because they were total divas and just a nightmare to work with. And it turned out that the reason he was saying that was because he sexually abused them and they tried to speak out about it, which Peter Jackson found out later. So, yeah, Weinstein's just an all-around turd. Yeah, for real. He's just, like, literally the world's worst, and I hope he gets hit by a bus. Amen. Amen. Do you have any Star Wars news? They found a bee that had the Rebel logo on its back. No, they did not, did they? Yeah. Well, it was wow. like, it's not like a recent thing. It's this this uh, entomologist on uh, Twitter posted it yesterday. And it's a it's a bee with the Rebel Warbird symbol on its back. Do you have a picture? I do. It looks like that. Oh, yeah. You know what? It sure does. Yep. It's from a, a Twitter account called Bees Backyard. <laughs> it's all about bees. Yeah. It's, it's a cuckoo bee. And those are the kind that will actually act like a cuckoo bird and that they will hide their eggs among other bees' eggs. Oh. And then the baby cuckoo bee will, like, eat all the baby squash bees and eat their pollen. That's a strategy the rebels could have tried. I know. It's kind like, of- put some, like, make some Jedi babies. Yeah. And then somehow implant them within the top brass of the Empire, have them grow up. Yeah. And then have them go like all Manchurian candidate once they come of age. I think it's a bit, it sounds a bit Sith to me. Yeah, it does sound a bit dark for them. But this was on, was it Bees? It's a Bees in Your Backyard. So that's the biggest news in Star Wars this week. <laughs> that's um, great news. There's babe, also thanks. a funny video of uh, Ron Howard narrating over Star Wars like it's the rest of development. Because he's directing Solo, a Star Wars story about Han Solo, the Solo movie Han so Solo. So did Ron Howard actually make this video? Like yeah. he, did he- it's funny. We'll watch it on your own time. It's okay, fun. I'll post it. I'll post it on our Facebook group. That's okay. what the Facebook group is for. Very good. Well, if that's all the news you have, Ryan. That's all the news that's fit to print. All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to jump right into today's topic because it is my favorite subject in all of Middle Earth, all of Tolkien, in all of the world, actually. Elijah Wood. Well, okay, but more expansively... What Elijah Wood represents in this world. Frodo Baggins. Hobbits. 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 This is Concerning Hobbits Part 1, because as I was putting it together, I realized I have God, so much to say about Hobbits, I just can't confine it to one show. Continue. Do you like Hobbits? Yeah, they're cool. That was not uh, enthusiastic enough. No, I like them. I like them a lot. I think they're fun. I like the way they live. Dressed up as them a couple times. Yeah, we have. In Lord of the Rings Online, we played as hobbits, and it was good times, being little guys. I around. love hobbits. They're my favorite race in Lord of the Rings. One of my favorite fantasy races ever. I adore them. Now, what do you like about them? I like the fact that they're they're down to earth. I mean, they live in the earth. Yeah, they live in the earth. They're digging it, like, literally down to earth. I like the fact that they are not ambitious. I was going to say greedy, but they are pretty greedy when it comes to eating. Yeah. But the fact that they're not ambitious, they don't seek power, and the fact that their secret strength is their very unassuming nature. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, they're so unambitious and so averse to power-seeking that it's almost impossible to corrupt them. It's pretty good. I know. I love that about them. Humble little guys. Yeah, so their date of origin is actually unknown. They're one of the Youngest, if not the youngest race in Tolkien. They were first recorded in 1050 of the Third Age. That's pretty late. It's like a third of the way into the Third Age was when somebody finally noticed, like, hey, there's these little guys knocking about. Well, they probably kept to themselves. Little hairy they fellas. They're probably around a long time. They just kind of kept to themselves and their little shire and their little houses. And That is entirely possible, although I should point out they did not develop in the shire. Oh, no, really? No, they did not, but we'll get to that in a second. So, the origin of their name... Hobbit is from the ancient northern word Holbitlan. Holbitlan. And Holbitlan means hole builders in Old English. Okay. Now, of course, remember, Tolkien used Anglo-Saxon words, Old Anglo-Saxon words, to represent Old Westron words. So the name Hobbit actually would have called themselves was Kuduk. 
Kuduk. Kuduk. I don't like that. Which would have been derived from the northern word kudukan, which means hole dweller. What don't you like about kuduk? Kuduk? It's cute. It sounds like a sound a chicken makes. Kuduk, 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 kuduk. No, Ryan, it is from the ancient northern word for hole dweller. So the old northern dialect is to quote-unquote modern Western, as old English is to modern English, which is Tolkien's justification for using all these charming Anglo-type names in his stories. By the way, I have alluded several times over the course of this podcast to the fact that hobbits almost certainly share a common ancestor with the people of Rohan, who originally came from the north, if you recall. So here's one more piece of evidence. The word Kud Dukan, Hole Dweller, was still used in Rohan at the time of the War of the Ring. Might have been how Mary first cottoned on to the fact that there might be a genealogical relationship there. Oh, interesting. By the way, another by the way, the whole Hobbit, Hobbitla, was invented by Tolkien totally after the fact. So the actual story of where the term Hobbit came from is that Tolkien was struck by sudden inspiration one day, and on this blank sheet of paper he wrote, In a hole in the ground there lived a Hobbit. And he probably just picked the name because it sounded cute and fantasy-ish. Yeah. But because he's Tolkien, he was super extra about the linguistic aspect, and he had to come up with some sort of etymological justification for the word, right? He couldn't just leave it. Of course. Um, later, though, he actually backpedaled on the Hobbitlaw part, in part because holes aren't technically built, they're dug. Come on. I know, my take on this is like, dude... J-R-R. How does a hole... You gotta, you gotta chill, man. Like, I mean, sure, you dig it, but you gotta build inside it. You gotta build it. inside it, right? They have, like, wood paneling on the yeah. walls and, and and tile floors. and I mean, they're building in that hole. They're building in that hole. I mean, and also, like, nobody's gonna care, J-R-R. I know you care. Those are just semantics. I mean, I think... I mean, semantics, he was a linguist, so semantics is kind of... Digging a hole is essentially building a hole, isn't it? Mm, not good enough for J.R.R. Is it because to make a hole you have to take away and to build you have to construct and add on I honestly think that, yeah, it was something like that. It was some really anal, retentive, picky little thing like that. But whatever, we're just going with Hobbit Law because it's fine, J.R.R. It's fine. J. Retentive, Retentive Tolkien. <laughs> so, Janal, Retentive, Retentive Tolkien. Yes, that's him. Such a retentive Janal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the Hobbit family tree. So at the dawn of their species, Hobbits were super widespread people. They weren't confined to just the Shire. Um, in fact, they weren't in the Shire at all. They were found in much of the north of Middle-earth and down the vales of the River Anduin. Okay. So if you look at this family tree that I have, you can see that three basic groups of Hobbits developed in the north. Here's what we have. Yeah. Right? So men... Branched off to ancestral hobbits. Right. Which branched off to these three subtypes of hobbits. Okay. Which later mixed and became hobbits of the late 30s. So you said the hot family tree. It's more, it's kind of a straight line. Uh, it's like a bush that gets thickest in the middle. It's like a topiary bush. It's just one chunk is big. <laughs> just one chunk in the middle is big and then it's tapered at either end. You know, like a flatworm. Sure. It's like a flatworm tree. Okay. So let's talk about these three types that they branched off into. Right. First, we have the fallowhides. And the fallowhides originally lived in the forests and the woodlands, and they were the tallest of the three branches of hobbit kind. Also the fairest, with lighter hair and lighter skin than their fellow hobbits. So they're essentially like Aryan hobbits. How like, tall are we talking? Oh, I mean, like, tall is a relative term. Hobbits rarely got over four feet. But, you know, let's say, like, 310 or Dang. something crazy like that. I know. Supermen. Supermen joined the Harlem Globetrotters. They were really, really good at hunting, mm-hmm. which is not something you associate with later-day hobbits. Mm. And they were really, really good at foreign language. So they were disposed to be friendly with the elves, and they were much more naturally adventurous than the other two types. I see. So, for example, it was two fallowhide brothers named Marcho and Blanco who led the settlement of the Shire. See, I love these just cheesy hobbit names. I, I wish I didn't know that they're actually not their real names. Marcho and Blanco. Those are great. You're like, you're into it. I love it. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, just ignore that fact. I don't then. think of the name as like Alzalad and, and Kulakan. Okay, but when you think of like Jesus. I know. You don't think of him as Yeshua, do you? But that's a way cooler name, Yeshua. Yeshua. But like you think of it by his more anglicized name. Yeah, I guess so. I'm just saying. I'm just putting that out there. 
Hey, man. Are you These Jesus? hobbits are basically Jesus, is what I'm saying. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Oh, that was stupid. Anyway, right. <laughs> I like it, though. Frodo's ancestry was substantially fallow-hide through the Brandy Book side, which is why he's so pale, presumably, and presumably also why he's so good at Elvish, which, again, isn't something that's shown very much in the Peter Jackson movies, but trust me, he's super awesome at Elvish. The second type and most common type of the three hobbit subtypes is Harfoots, and they were smaller than Fallowhides and had darker skin. They were also less adventurous, so they preferred to settle in one place rather than explore. I see. So they're upland hobbits, so they sought out hillsides for their hobbit holes. Upland hob. Hobbit. You've been living in your hobbler's knob. Gobbler's <laughs> knob? Wait, what is that from? Gobbler's knob. I don't know. Gobbler's knob. It's in Utah. Okay. Or Pennsylvania, one of the two. Anyway, so Harfoots were notable as being the first of the three kinds of hobbits to pass the mountains into Eriador, the area that would later become the Shire. The Eriador. The Eriador. Though in early times, they remained east of Weathertop. So still pretty far east. The culture of Hobbiton, to me, feels very Harfoot. Mm-hmm. In that it's very conservative compared to the rest of Hobbit society. Yeah. And Bilbo's attitude at the beginning of The Hobbit is quite Harfoot as well. Right? Like, no adventures, never doing anything unexpected. Though that may be due to the culture of Hobbiton in which he was raised rather Mm -hmm. than his actual ancestry. But that's Harfoot. The last, the broadest and heaviest branch of Hobbits was the Stores. S-T-O-O-R-S, Stores. And they were south of the other Hobbits in the Vales of the Anduin. And they really liked rivers. Okay. They were like river guys. They're like... River dancers. They're like real Huck Finn type hobbits sailing down the river. Living the, down the mighty Mississippi, having uh, all kinds of adventures. Bayous, going past the old steamboats. With um, Jim. Jim. And we're Jim, as our, our high school teacher called him. <laughs> Which is probably for the best. It's probably for the best, <laughs> given the alternative. During the upheavals of the middle of the Third Age, the stores eventually abandoned their riverlands, and many of them made their way north to the Shire. And they reached that land about 30 years after it was actually founded, so a little bit late. And for the most part, they settled in the East Farthing by the Brandywine. Okay. By the river. Of course. So, the most prominent example of a store in Tolkien's universe is actually more of a proto-store, like a store predecessor. Uh-huh. And this is Smeagol. Smeagol? Who eventually became Gollum. And you'll notice that he and his cousin Deagle are shown out on the river in the scene where Smeagol finds the One Ring, because stores were fond of rivers. We loves rivers, we do. And jewelry. Um, this was not and a jewelry and rivers. This was not a common trait with hobbits. Frodo's parents actually died in a boating accident. Good for them. And you'll recall that Sam can't swim at all. Stupid fat hobbit says eating before he goes swimming after eating. <laughs> got a wicked cramp. Wicked cramps. <laughs> you said that like cramps. You said it like almost Scottish yeah. hey, in the hey, middle hey. there. Producer Gollum, go like go back to the booth. No, no. <laughs> we end this podcast now. Go back. Get on the ones and twos. We need you, like, balancing the sounds and stuff. Yeah, we can't do all this ourselves. We don't have the technical know-how. It's all on you. Stupid fat hobbitses not minding the ones and twos. So, Gollum... We're sorry for... Th- Shut up! In addition to producer being... Producer Smeagol? Don't worry. That's it's right, okay. Super Producer Smeagol. Yeah. It's okay, man. Yeah. In addition to being an exceptional, sort of exceptional producer... Yeah. Gollum it was quite good on the water... And we can infer that this is partly due to necessity since he lived in a pool inside a cave and subsisted mostly on fish. You kind of got to get in the water. We're very good at jet skiing. (laughs) Gollum, stay in the booth, man. Smeagol prefers a nice quiet pontoon boat ride. We like tubing. (laughs) Tubing. Like the lazy rivers. Yes, yes, Smeagol loves the lazy rivers. Get in the booth. (laughs) You come out again, you're not... Well, we don't pay you, but you're not getting fed today. We can also infer that his love of rivers is partly due to his storage ancestry. Okay. Which is what I was trying to finish off before I was rudely interrupted by somebody. Well, sorry. It's all right. No, no, no worries, man. So that's the three kinds of hobbits, but they kind of all coalesced and mixed once they got to the Shire. Okay. It's a melting pot, that Shire. Well, yeah, let's talk about the Shire, shall we? Shire. Shall we talk about the Shire? I was trying to say sure and make it sound like Shire. Shire. That was flawless. That was flawless. Yeah. So in the year 1601 of the Third Age, this king called Argaleb 
was petitioned by a group of hobbits migrating west from Bree to grant them a land of their own. Now, Argaleb was a king of Arthedain. You probably don't remember that name because I explicitly told you to forget it, but it is one of the three kingdoms that Arnor split into, the Mm -hmm. northern kingdom of the Dunedain before it dissolved. Remember, it split into those three kingdoms. That one was like the Witch King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Arthedain was one of those. Okay. And Argaleb was the 10th or 11th king of Arthedain. I can't exactly remember, but he agreed. It doesn't say why he agreed. I guess, you know, he just thought they were so dang cute. Look at these little dudes just trying to make their way in the world. I just like kicking out of these little dudes. Yeah, these little dudes. Let's talk about these little dudes. Little dudes. Hey, you guys see these little dudes? Let's help these little dudes. Let's give them a little place for the little dudes. And we'll call it Little Dude Town. So the, the lands he gave them west of the river Buranduin had formerly been a royal park and hunting ground. And I don't know, maybe people weren't that into hunting anymore. Finally, we can hunt the most dangerous gay. <laughs> yeah, man. When the hobbits got too populous, they'd have like a call. Shall we hunt the little dudes? Like we have for white <laughs> Join me in the traditional hunting of the dudes. <laughs> we set our hounds loose to sniff them out. They're special dude sniffing hounds. Dude hounds, we call them. <laughs> so... <laughs> Through Argaleb's grant slash most dangerous game fantasies, the hobbits, led by Marcho and Blanco, established the land of the halflings known as the Shire. And the population expanded. Some of the hobbits remained in Bree, the Bree area. They became mm-hmm. the Bree hobbits. And they were later joined by the stores. Remember, they came like 30 years late to the party. Yeah. Okay. The Shire was divided into four farthings. So the North Farthing, South Farthing, East Farthing, and West Farthing. And its chief town was at Mickledelving on the White Downs in the West Farthing. I remember Mickledelving from Lord of the Rings Online. Okay, well, it's good that you remember it because it is the capital of the Shire. All right. Not Hobbiton. Mickledelving. You know why? Because it's Mickle. And that means big. All right. It was a pretty big delving. Yeah, it was a bit. So Mickle delving means large excavation. Yeah. And it was accounted among the most important of the Shire settlements. And its mayor was the most important of the Shire hobbits. Was he like the president hobbit? He, yeah. I mean, he was a mayor, but like, kind of. Did they have a governor over the Shire? Not really. They said mayors. Like, Sam later became the mayor of Hobbiton for so a really long time. about that local government, the non-decentralized government? I mean, yeah. They're kind of like an old-fashioned agrarian society like that. Kind of reminds me of my grandparents. Like, yeah. they don't trust anything much beyond the level of, like, city council. And they're all, like, 310 and <laughs> yeah, they well, live in a know, hole. They in a depression. Their, their nutrition wasn't great. But yeah, <laughs> they are 310 and they do live in holes. Yes. My grandparents. Just like them. Hi, Grandma and Grandpa. Also in the West Farthing, to the northeast of Mickle Delving, was Hobbiton. This is the one you hear about most in Tolkien. This is Bilbo Baggins' hometown, right? Yes! So it's a large town in the central sort of area of the Shire, and it was overlooked by Hobbiton Hill, usually simply called The Hill, in which was a bag end. How did they come up with that that creative, fantastic name? What, Hobbiton Hill? Hobbiton in general. Hobbit, Hobbit Town. But that'd be like calling this, Welcome to Human Town. Welcome to Elf Town. I mean, there are stupider names out there. Or maybe it wasn't called that in Hobbit language, and Tolkien Uh, is just sort of, like, making it charming and Anglo for us. Well, what was Hobbit again in the true language? Kuruk. So it'd be Kurukton. Well, I don't think the ton would have been in there. That's very Anglo. Okay. Kuruk. Bill. Knuk Teklon. (laughs) Yeah, Knuk Teklon. Knuk Teklon. Instead of Hobbit holes, they had, like... Pyramids, step step pyramids. pyramids. Yeah, yeah. And every once in a while they have to sacrifice one of the hobbits to the sky gods. We don't know for a fact that that wasn't happening. Anyway, so we have no specific reference to the founding of Hobbiton. We don't know exactly when it happened. But it's described as being one of the older settlements in the Shire, so it might date back to the initial years after the founding of the Shire itself. Mm-hmm. It's very, very old. And as I mentioned above, Hobbiton was quite conservative, quite respectful. So if you're looking for a more, like, libertine, rough-and-tumble Hobbit settlement, you'll need to go to Bree, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Okay. But first, we'll talk about Bywater. Bywater was a town by some water. <laughs> Again, these names are so creative. A pool. But yeah, but if you go to England... I know. I know. It's all a bunch of... All the names are like that. Dussex on Trentshire. I don't know. Like, I don't remember. Yeah, and it'll be because somebody was looking at a Trent, which in Old English meant, like, I don't know, 
um, like a tiny hillock with a single daisy on it. Yeah. And 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 then they they saw a, a drusic. Yeah. Which was an old English word for a duck with a lame leg, and that's how they named wow. it. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad it's a real place. Yeah. Yeah. The duck got on the hillock, and they're like drusic by Trent. Perfect. Yeah, that's what it is. So that's basically what they did. <laughs> so this village was by Bywater Pool. So it was really close to Hobbiton on the borders of the West Farthing near the East Road. And according to Tolkien, there was like a mile and a quarter between Hobbiton's road junction and the northernmost part of Bywater, where the Green Dragon Inn was. Oh, yes. So the Hobbits had of Hobbiton had really easy access to go get... Slizzard at the Green Dragon, which they did, as you know. If you go to Hobbiton in New Zealand, you can see both Bywater Pool and the Green Dragon. Cool. Yeah. It made me very happy. That was very nice. You have to go over a bridge over the pool and everything. They've got a little mill there. It is adorable. A bridge over troubled by water. Troubled by water. Like a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, Tuckborough. Are you going to Tuckborough Fair? Are you going to Tuckborough Fair? See you. This is all Simon and Garfunkel references. Lots of weed and also more weed. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. I say that because Tuckboro was south of Hobbiton, like almost to the south farthing, which is where all the weed was grown. Pipe leaf, baby. <laughs> Whiff of old Toby. So south of Hobbiton, but still in the west farthing, Tuckboro was the ancestral home of the Took family. Oh, the Took. Yes. So the defining feature of Tuckborough was the great smiles. Not smile as in like, oh, what a nice smile. But smile as in S-M-I-A-L, a.k.a. Hobbit Holes. Ah, okay. And that's where the Tooks lived. And it should be noted that alongside the mayor of Mickledelving, the leader of the Took family, who was called the Thane, was one of the most powerful hobbits in the Shire. What this means is that when Pippin became Thane after the events of the Lord of the Rings, he had like an insane amount of authority. So more than a mayor? No, I would put him, like, about equal, so probably. Like a, just because he's rich? Kind of, yeah. It's more sort of like an aristocratic thing than oh, a democratically okay. elected thing. Okay. Does Pippin deserve that much power? Probably not. Could a Thane become a mayor and be the most powerful hobbit in the land? God, I hope they had some checks and balances for that. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. At the time when Pippin was the Thane, Sam was the mayor of Hobbiton, so, you know. That's a bit of cronyism right there, isn't it? In the case of Sam, it might have been. I'm not exactly sure, like, what the factors were that led him to get elected, whether it was because he was friends with, like, some of the most powerful families in Hobbiton or not. I smell corruption. I think corruption he was just a really good guy. In Hobbit government. I, I think Sam was just, like, a good little dude. He was just this great little dude. Now someone who benefits from nepotism. Um, I mean, um, <laughs> I don't know, that's a tricky... He was elected, democratically. But if anyone had to be benefited by nepotism, it couldn't go to a better guy. I mean, he's a stand-up dude, so yeah. I'm not really that worried about it. Yeah. Like, if Putin was a stand-up dude, would anyone care that he wasn't <laughs> democratically elected? I guess not. But he's not. He's not. Continue. Okay, so, Buckland... We also have to talk about Buckland. This is way east of Hobbiton, on the very eastern borders of the Shire, in fact. And the Bucklanders acknowledged the master of Buckland as their leader. The Brandy Bucks, as in Mariadoc Brandy Buck, yeah. descended from Gorhendad Old Buck, who founded Buckland, were the most important family of the Bucklanders. So again, Mariadoc Brandy Buck, kind of like an important lineage he has. Sounds like it. Honestly, of the hobbits that appear in The Lord of the Rings, the main four, Sam is the only one who's just kind of, like, normal. Like, who's just kind of a plebe. A regular guy. Yeah. The others are sort of aristocratic. Okay, so the Brandy Bucks had a strong fallow hider strain in their blood, which made them more adventurous than many of their more conservative neighbors in the Shire. And they did not share the Shire Hobbit's fear of water. So, for example, they are often sailing boats on the Brandywine River that bordered their land. Although this could backfire as Frodo's mother, Primula Brandybuck, drowned Aww. in a boating accident. So, you know. Boating accident? Or was it an inside job? <laughs> Primula Brandybuck's death was an inside job. Who she knew to too much. Her? About what? The the nepotism going on between the Thanes and the mayors. Oh my god, maybe. Somebody should write that fanfic. You're the perfect person for the job. Alright, cool. I'm gonna do this. Okay. Real Randy Buck blowing the lid right off it. Um, on the eastern border of Buckland lay the old forest, and the constant threat of the dark trees made the Bucklanders somewhat sturdier than typical. The hobbits. dark trees. Okay, but remember the dark trees. Ryan, oh my God, remember there was like old man Willow in there. 
Yeah, I guess there was. It's like a literally a tree that will like grab you and murder you. I did read that part, yes. All right. So also there were some trees that had started to become a bit entish in the sense that they had started to like gain a will of their own. That's dangerous. You would be hardy too if you lived in that environment. If like a tree could literally just decide to murder you and then carry it out. Like for all I know, when we go on walks, every single tree that we pass is thinking about murdering us, but they can't actually like make good on that. So... Someday. Someday. Trees are really good at waiting. I mean, if there's one thing trees are good at. Just waiting for that right moment. Waiting for that moment, and they will murder us all. It's going to be like the happening. Yeah. You know? The wind will chase us, and the trees will kill us. Yeah. Yep. And that's what the Brandy books were scared of. Now, last but not least, let's talk about Bree. This was further east still, um, outside the Shire itself, and the hobbits native to Bree and the lands around interacted frequently with men which made them more open to the outside world than their more parochial relatives in the Shire. Bree was a very ancient township of men, so this was there like before the hobbits came. And the first hobbits came there in about the year 1300 of the Third Age, so Bree was the only place in the world where hobbits and men lived together side by side. Ebony and, and ivory. We have to do that, but like, what's, what's a version that, like, really big people and really small people? Um, Big keys and small keys. <laughs> that's, that's what they call them. Pianos. Side by side, sound good to me. In Bree. Yeah. All right. Like something like that. Um, it was 300 years after the hobbits arrived in Bree that Marcho and Blanco led their colonists into the Shire, right? So the Bree hobbits tend to kind of look down on their cousins in the Shire, referring to them as colonists and outsiders. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the hobbits of Bree claim to have originated most hobbit customs, and it was thought that they were the first ones who discovered that pipeweed makes you feel good. That's great. Like pipeweed, man? Pipeweed, though? You ever smoke pipeweed, though? Are you going to talk about pipeweed today? Um, next time. At the end of the Third Age, the Bree Hobbits sometimes traveled west to the Shire, but they rarely ventured further than Buckland, okay. the east farthing. Last little note here. In The Lord of the Rings, Part 1, Chapter 9, Tolkien gives a list of the more prominent Hobbit families living in, the Bre- in Bree at the time, and one of those common names is Underhill. And you'll remember that that is the pseudonym Frodo uses at the yeah. Prancing Pony. It's like a Hobbit's version of Smith or something. Yeah, right. So he's like come, trying to blend in. All right. Yeah. So, Ryan, if you were going to live in one Hobbit settlement, which would it be? Mm, a lot of good ones. Bree sounds pretty happening. Yes. You know, they're kind of more continental, a little bit more, you know. Worldly. Worldly. More, yeah. Like, you know, being all secluded out in Hobbiton might be nice, but you can get some influence from other places if you hang out in Bree. More of an international outlook. Yeah. I think Bree sounds good to me. Although it must be said, Bree looks super shady in the Peter Jackson movies. It does. And kind of dirty. But I think you're also seeing it through the Hobbit's eyes. Little people in a big adventure in a place they've never been before, and I think th- I think we're getting a little bit of the the cinema verite that's going to make us feel what the hobbits feel as they enter a big place with big people. Okay, you might be right about that. You might be right about that. Yeah, because I mean, but even even the cat that they show in that scene in Brie looks kind of suspicious because it's raining and like there's nobody washed their hair back then, so really was kind of dirty and like and no like, like ring butter race beer attack. is like you like, know kind of a dumbo and like if i live there most days there probably would not be rain or ring wraiths around it's just like a very not it's not like a good day to, to film and breathe all right well that's possible i'm just saying where would you live uh buckland Buckland. Because it, now hear me out, it's within easy traveling distance of Bree, so you can still get some of that culture. Yeah. But it's nice and safe and protected in the Shire, and you get all that agrarian flavor, and you can still go to Hobbiton for, you know, the party tree, and all those ragers they have with the finest weed in the South Farthing. Now, Buckland feels kind of like, we live in we live in Farmington. It feels like Farmington Hills to me. It feels like... Oh, does it? Because he said that's where a lot of the, the wealthy brandy bucks and stuff live, and they I imagine they live in these massive... Hobbit castle holes. I mean, like, like it, it's like it's like how not everybody in Hobbiton is a Baggins who's super well to do. Not everybody in Buckland is going to be a well to do brandy buff. But that's what you that's what you kind of accentuated. So it makes me think it's going to be like a lot of like high and mighty hobbits up in their ivory Hobbit hills. Like their mathems are like caviar inside like a Fabergé egg. Yeah, delicious. 
We're getting off topic again. Anyway, I would still choose uh, Buckland because okay. it had the forest. You could go boating. You could die in a boating accident, which just makes every day more precious. Did someone say precious? No. God dang it. Get back in your get booth. Get in the booth, Gollum. Nobody is asking for your commentary. Nobody Smeagol, wants get it. him back in there, okay? Yes, master. Yes, yes. I like when he calls you master. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, well-mannered. Well-mannered. Well, okay, that's what I have for today. Cool, thanks. Yeah, no problem. So what are you teaching me, Ryan? Well, I knew you were doing Hobbits this week. Yeah. And what was it, our third episode? I talked about Endor. That was in our Trees Are Terrific episode. Yeah, it was a while back. Certainly in the first five. I think it was our third episode. Okay, all right. And I did a, a kind of a brief overview on Ewoks. I know part of our academic research is that Ewoks and Hobbits are the same thing. Oh, yeah. That isn't even, like, research. That's an established theory. It's not even a theory. It's a fact, as far as I can tell. Well, it's a theory in the sense that evolution is a theory and that it is... Real. Real. And fits all of our scientific observations. So I thought I'd talk a little bit more about Ewoks, and specifically the Ewoks of Bright Tree Village. Bright Tree Village? Is that the name of that village where they, uh, you know, C-3PO ends up getting worshipped? And they end up like, hey, okay... So there are more. There's more than one of those villages, though. Oh, lots of villages all over Endor. Oh, dang! Yeah. Oh, dag! I never knew. Yeah. So, do you remember any of the facts I told you about Ewoks like months ago? Yes. Okay. What I also remember is like their mating ritual thing, where when you know they're of age, the males will all leave the village and they'll go build like a little hut, and uh-huh. then if there's a female who likes them, they'll go like leave them food and stuff, and it's incredibly cute. And... That is one of the cutest bits for sure. Yes. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. I kind of go over Ewoks pretty quick, so I got to talk about like Dulocks and Yuzums and stuff like that. But uh, root heads and yeah, whatever the dandelion warriors, dandelion, yeah. oh my god, Mount Sorrow, like all kinds of stupid, stupid stuff. But no, we're going, we're going back to basics here. So you know, Ewoks, as you know, one meter tall, little furry bear people, Stone Age tech, but very smart, very, very good learners, very but fast. Ryan, were people in the Stone Age really? St- Stupid? Actually, they were Ewoks. Everybody was an Ewok in the Stone Age. Yeah. Oh my god, I really, I really am learning new things. You are. So Ewok society is structured into villages, like Bright Tree Village. Uh, every village is ruled over by a council of elders, which is headed by a chief. Like most tribal societies. Was this patriarchal? Most of the time it was a male Ewok, but there are chief Tesses as well. We'll oh, get into that. Okay. Uh, every village also had a shaman who was the keeper of mystical lore and the healer to the injured. And he was some sometimes somebody who was simply the village con artist who could <laughs> made up answers about what the gods wanted and how they could be pleased. Right, right. But others often had genuine abilities and were like force sensitive. Ooh, okay. And had actual powers. Now, was it like Jawas where you had to like, you know, either be gifted by the gods or get a fever one time? With Ewoks, you have to be either a very good liar or actually have force powers. Oh, okay. Yeah. The warriors in the movie, you probably remember them. They have like little hoods on. They're all got raggedy things. They got all kinds of gym jams and bones oh, yeah. and oh, teeth. Oh, yeah. I remember who could forget the gym jams. Yeah. They wear these ornaments all over them. The most important ones carried totems. We talked about baby Ewoks called walklings. Yes. And you notice walklings don't wear clothes. They don't wear any hoods or anything. There's these little furry naked boys. Yeah, that's gross. They're cute, though. Yeah. But when they came of age when they were teenagers, they would do what was called the Festival of Hoods. Oh. Where they would get a ceremony and be finally granted a hood. I didn't realize the hoods are more than just a fashion choice. Oh, absolutely. So after that, they could finally go on into Ewok society, become shaman apprentices or scouts or hunters. Because Ewoks considered themselves to be great hunters. Yeah. And they were great hunters. They used snares and bows and spears and slings. So all those gadgets they built, like the hang gliders, and this thing they called the Tech Swee. Tech Swee? Yes, you, you had like this pause. I know you just woke up from kind of a nap. No, no, what is a Swee? Okay, so the way you were describing them um, made them sound like they were data from the Goonies. And then I started thinking about data, and I was like, is data kind of racist? And then I was thinking, well, yes. it kind of is. And then I just like missed what you were saying, but then I heard the word Swee. <laughs> Well, they have a tech swee, and you see this in the movie. It's this big device they built to keep away the Gorax. You know the Gorax? Uh, isn't that a cleaning product? Yes. 
It's also the big monster from the Ewok Adventure movie, the first one. Oh! The one that kidnaps the kid's parents and yeah, puts them in a cage. Yeah. That's the Gorax. And so they had to protect the village against the Gorax. So they tie up a couple of big logs. Yeah. On the side of the route where the Gorax would come. When the Gorax was coming, they cut those logs and boom! Because it translates, text suite translates out into head hitter. Oh! Isn't that what Kevin McAllister did in Home Alone? Yes. Like, like he, you know, two tree trunks. Ewok tech. Hug up. Yeah, yeah. And he smashed Marvin Harry's skulls. I mean, like, he did smash their skulls. Like, they absolutely died, like, 17 times in right. a row. But, so yeah. if you remember in the Return of the Jedi, the tech swee is what they use to kill an ATST. Yes, I do remember that. I a do remember Fumusha. that. That's a Gorax defense mechanism turned into Imperial defense mechanism. Tech swee. Okay, cool. Tech swee. Low tech, but effective. Also, when they hunted with their arrows, they tipped them in a potent neurotoxin. Oh, my God. And it ensured that anyone who was shot by them would die in extremely gruesome manners. Because even seemingly minor wounds would result in the victim clawing off any headgear and gasping for air. <gasps> as the neurotoxin paralyzed every muscle in their victim's body, including their lungs. Ooh. Was it like uh, tetrodotoxin in Fugu where you can turn you into a, like a literal zombie? I think so. Or just turned you into dead. Right. So okay. they're pretty good with, like, using stuff in nature to, to, you know, kill things. Oh, yeah. As well as, you know, gathering food and stuff like that. Um, they often would gather what they called mat berries, which they would ferment and make into a sick drink, a Ooh. bitter brew that they could... Was this, like, the pipe weed of the Ewok world? No, this is, like, the, the beer. Beer! The ale! The beer and ale. Now, the pipe weed of their world was they would smoke combustible substances for recreational and spiritual purposes. Was it weed? It was like cool forest weed. Was it sticky? Yeah. And icky? Bro, you ever like use a tech swee when you're on weed? <laughs> that sounds really inadvisable. Cool. You'll only ever do it once, dude, but it's worth it. Dude. After that, you'll be dead. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about their festivals before. We talked about how they had all those kind of nature festivals where they celebrate the rain or the sun or yeah. the springtime flowers yeah. and love. And we talked also how they have some dark rituals. Oh, yes. As that's well. Right. Wasn't there that weird thing? The, well, they're nature worshippers. They worship the, the nature of the forest, obviously. The, yes. gr- the great tree and all the nature spirits that filled their forest came from that great tree as well. And so not all the spirits are good. There's some, some evil spirits, you know, darkness and scary things. So they do dark rituals to satisfy those scary forest spirits. And when they did these, they would make sacrifices and they would toss hallucinogenic herbs into the fire give everyone some crazy visions. Oh, that's right. Everyone got blazed at the bonfire, dude. Yeah. It's like college all over again, dude. dude. Also, they celebrated Halloween. We talked about that, too. Yes, that, that is, like, one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Is the fact that, like, of all human traditions for them to have, it's Halloween. I just wanted to recap some of the Ewok knowledge here. Because we're going to go into some particular Ewoks now. Okay. Of Bright Tree Village. One that we see in the movies, in fact. So no conversation about the Ewoks of Bright Tree Village would be complete without talking about Wicket Wistry Warwick. <gasps> Wicket W. Warwick. Isn't that the one that's played by Warwick Davis? Yeah. Why? Why did so they gave it like the last name that's his first name? It's not Warwick. It's Warwick. A Warwick. Okay, sorry. Totally different. different. Um, Wasn't he like I don't know, like a kid when he did that? Like yeah, seventeen he, or something? Oh, he's younger than that. He's a little guy. Oh man, he was like twelve, I think. Twelve. Dang. Yeah, I, I read a little thing about how he got started, and like he was just a regular Ewok extra. Yeah. But they saw how he was like really good at moving around, and, like dancing. He's got really energetic in the Ewok suit, and they're like. Yeah, but this guy in front of the screen more. Like so, this kid. This kid. So This that, kid's got some energy to spare. So if you don't know who Wicked is, he's the one that Princess Leia buddies up with. Uh, like the kind of the main Ewok you see in Return of the Jedi. And he's kind of the main character of most Ewok things. Like of the Ewoks cartoon and the, and the Ewok adventure movies. Right. And so his Legends article on Wikipedia is super long. Like how long are we talking? I like, didn't get a word count, but it covers the Ewoks cartoon Every episode of that, the Return of the Jedi Every bits, episode. the Ewok adventure movies, all the Ewoks kids books, the Ewoks comics, basically anything that Ewoks appeared in, 
Wicket's been in it. And so, so if you were going to compare the Wikipedia article for Wicket yeah. to the Wikipedia article for, say, like, Abraham Lincoln, whose do you think would be longer? Wicket. Oh, okay, good. Wicket. Yeah. I mean, because Abraham Lincoln doesn't isn't really in Star Wars that much. So his, Wiki- Not that much. So his Wikipedia little, article would be very short. Like very, very short sort of appearance. He would have, like, unidentified, hatted beard man <laughs> on a penny. That's um, what I've always thought of him as. So, needless to say, he had tons of adventures. And it's really long. I'm not going to cover them today because it'll take a whole episode. And okay. I will do a full episode on Wicked eventually. Yes. I just want to get that out of the way. I'm not skipping Wicked. No Wicked skipping. No Wicked skipping. I just want don't you skip to, that Wicked. I just want, yeah, don't, don't, don't skip on Wicked. I just want you guys to know that that he is a character that I'll cover later because he's a major guy. Great. I'm talking more about the minor Ewoks here. Uh, we'll start with Chief Chirpa. I know the Chief is not a minor Ewok, but he's the Chirp of Bright Tree, uh, the, the Chief of Bright Tree Village. I called him the Chirf. The Chirf? He's the Chirf. Chirf Chifa. No, it's Chir- Chief Chirpa. Yeah. So he became kind of known during the Ewok Duloc Wars as a brave warrior. Remember the Dulocs? Yeah. Angry cousins of Ewoks. Oh, yeah. The ones that said like root heads and, and, and all them other sick burns. Yep. The, during his management, Chief Chirpa, when he finally became chief, was known for his sapience and his severity. He was known for his sapience. Smart and severe, Keith. Okay. Chief Chirpa. He's saying, well, keep wanting to say his name wrong. Chief Chirpa. I mean, it's not hard because it all starts with ch. Yeah, I almost said Keith Kerpa just now. Keith Kerpa! That sounds like a guy who does like aerobics classes. Is it, yeah, Keith. It's me, Keith Kerpa. Buy <laughs> my VHS <laughs> Yeah. But anyway. Sweating to the oldies. Yeah. So he, he was a brave warrior and leader. He was a, also uh, a father. He had a daughter named Princess Nisa Ajari Kintaka. Princess? Princess Nisa. So the children of a chief were princes and princesses? Yes. And he had two daughters, Nisa and Anka. Okay. Yeah. If you've watched the Ewoks cartoon, Nisa is one of the main characters. Is she? She hangs out with Wicket. Yeah. Whoa. He hangs out with royalty? Well, yeah. Bright Tree Village has like 200 Ewoks in it. Okay, so everybody hangs out with everybody, basically. It's a small town. Yeah. Okay, so it's, like, it's like being, you know, it's like being the prince of like, you know, I don't know, a graduating class at a, at a small to mid-sized high school. Yes. Okay. Because, yeah, we have kings like and princesses in those classes as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by the time Return of the Jedi, Chirpa had been the chief for 42 seasons. Is that 42 years? Seasons. So, yeah. like 10 years. 42 seasons. Well, if there's four seasons per year. I don't know if they have a four-season cycle on Endor. No, I mean, I mean, if it's like other places in the Star Wars universe, it only has like one climate and one season like all the time. So 42 seasons. All right. I'm going to think that's a year. I'm going to say that's a year. I'll look it up. I think it's probably a year. Because he's kind of an older Ewok. Yeah. Right? And when the rebels arrived on Endor, the village shaman, who we'll cover in a minute, told Chirpa to offer the newcomers a sacrifice to the new golden god. The new? Where did this new god come from? Who's golden in Star Wars? Oh, yeah! Who do they think is a god? Oh, yeah! R2-D2. Yeah, that one. That one! (laughs) So they're going to sacrifice them to R2-D2. Oh, wait, it's C-3PO by mistake! You Nooblet. But when he, they saw how powerful these magical people were, he decided maybe we had a wrong idea. Maybe we shouldn't sacrifice these ones. Wicket convinced the chief to listen to a C-3PO story about all their adventures. And after hearing the tale, Chirpa to convince the village elders to make them honorary members of the tribe. All right. Because they told a good story. Yeah. I mean, you get this a little bit in the movie, but this is actually like what was actually they're talking about. That's how you actually become a citizen of the United States as well. You tell a really good story. You get there and you tell the adjudicating officer just a really good yarn. They're like, just tell me a good yarn. Welcome. Welcome. You're part of our country now. Because the Empire's construction on Endor had disrupted the hunting cycle and killed many trees, Chirpa decided that the Ewoks would join their new tribe members to fight the Empire. Yeah. Yeah. And when the time came, his warriors were courageous and skillful in the face of a superior enemy and managed to defeat them, which had fulfilled a prophecy of a successful holy war they would eventually launch to protect their way of life. So the Ewoks fighting the Empire was a prophesized. Whoa. Holy war. Jihad. Yeah, it was, essentially. But like, yeah. But not in like the warped way that Fox News uses the word Jihad. Right. So after Chief Chirpa died, later on, uh, his daughter became the Chief Tess, and she married Wicket. 
So what? We'll talk about them later. So did Wicket become the... They are Chief and Chief Tess. They ruled in... In, in, in tandem. In tandem, yes. So then the question is, what happened to Chirpa's Chief Tess? Oh, she died. Of what? Consumption? She was eaten. Oh my god, what? Yeah, it was in the in the article. I didn't go into too much detail. She was killed. Eaten by what? A creature. I don't know. I have to look it up. Holy cow. You buried the lead there. But he's a single father. Oh man, say. just a single father trying to make it on his own. Truly. Let's talk about the village shaman. Okay. He's a guy called Low Gray. He looks like this. He's kind of notable as like one of the striped Ewoks. Yes. Now, is he one of the ones who's really Force-sensitive, or is he a faker? He's really Force-sensitive. Oh. And he wears a bird skull on his head. So if you've watched Return of the Jedi and you see a brown, stripy Ewok with a bird skull, yeah. that's the, the, the shaman, Low Gray. Low Gray. He's actually in this picture with Chief Chirpa. There he is, back there. Low Gray. So he's tall for an Ewok with tan-striped skin. Uh, he wore a headdress made of a churry bird skull. And he carried a totem decorated with the bones of the spine of a defeated enemy. Ooh, like another Ewok? An enemy. Like what enemy? Like Maybe a Duloc? Or ma- maybe just like a, you know, a a, like a squirrel that kept eating from his bird feeder, so he finally just killed it. It's a very small staff. Yeah. Pen size. <laughs> microscopic. So in his youth, Logre was a great warrior, but at one point he was enslaved by Morag the Tulga Witch. Ooh. A Duloc? Uh, no, she's a, she's a witch. Uh, Ewok. Morag the Tulga Witch. But learned her forced magic secrets and escaped. Oh, is that how he became a shaman? Yes. He was strong in the force and became a shaman after that when he returned. So it's just kind of like he was captured and enslaved by her, but he was watching. I still don't understand what the witch is. Is witch like its own race in Star Wars? We'll talk about that um, maybe in Wicket's episode. He has a lot of run-ins with Morag the Tulga Witch. Okay. She was kind of an antagonist in the Ewoks cartoon. Got it. Remember, remember Endor has a lot of like one-off creatures? Yes. Like Mount Sorrow, the yeah, crying yeah, yeah, mountain. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are a lot of like one-offs on Endor. Okay. And she's one of them. It's just where you go when you are the last of your species and you're not part of a breeding pair. You and go to Endor. It's where you go for your species to die off. Basically. Cool. Yeah. I think learning from a witch may have affected Logre a little bit because as he got older, he took a turn toward darkness. No, Logre saying so. He kept on doing more and more dark rituals <sighs> that were maybe not up to the Ewok code. And Wicket spoke out against these dark rituals. And Is he had tainted. Yeah, and so Logre banished Wicket from participation in all of the rituals, even that the good ain't ones. Fair. It isn't. I know. Logre was the one who suggested they sacrifice Han Solo, Luke, Chewie, and R2D2 to honor the Golden One. So he's kind of already in that dark dark uh-huh, space, right? I would say. After the Battle of Endor, Logre was exposed as a coward and a bully. Chirpa ousted Logre and appointed his his cousin, Paplu, in his place. I love how he's like Let's literally murder four people, and everybody's like, you bully. Pretty much. You big bully. Is that the fact, like, you know, they're kind of good people. Yeah. I kind of like them. You must feel really bad about yourself on the inside, Logre. That's why you have to make yourself better by tearing others down, and also murdering them and sacrificing them to a golden god. So it's like, go away, Logre. Get out of Bright Tree Village. Go away, Logre. That's pretty good. Yeah. But he was furious. Angry. How dare they turn their back on him. And so he cast a curse upon the village. Ooh. It can only be dispelled later by the, with help of the Golden One. C-3PO? Yes. Has to dispel a curse? I don't know how that worked. It was by kind of, what? Fussing over they it? They just mentioned it. I'm oh, sure okay. Like, oh, dear. Oh, 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 dear. Well, um, you know, Butch was a Rancor dragon. He was a Rancor dragon. <laughs> After he was in exile, he was struck from all Ewok history. Ooh, no then, one's even allowed to say his name then anymore. How do we know about him? The songs of remembrance that told the story of Logre. Yes, he was cut out of them completely. Holy cow! So Logre would maybe not the best of Ewoks. Definitely not. Logre had an uh, apprentice called Tebow, like Tim, like, like Tim Tebow, like you know. He was known for going on one in knee. the end zone all the time. Yes, uh, they called it Tebowing, and he was a, a shaman apprentice. And also Wicket's best friend. Aww. He, if you don't know what he looks like, he's kind of a black and gray striped Ewok with like a monster face on his head. Oh, he does have like a, it's like a dragon's mouth. With like tusks sticking out oh, of it. Oh, he looks cool. He does look cool. As a kid though, he didn't want to be a shaman or a warrior. He just wanted to hang out and daydream. He had this special branch he would go to in the village and just kind of sit out there watching the sky and he could actually hear colors and rivers moving past him and he Whoa. could read animals' minds and observe tree oh ghosts. Oh my god. Tree ghosts? Tree ghosts. Observe tree ghosts? That's what the article says, yeah. Wait, does it elaborate on what that means? No. Okay. 
But one day, while he was off daydreaming, all the little walklings were kidnapped <gasps> by Duloc warriors. Oh, no. And he came back, and all of it, you know, he's still a walkling still, and he's like, oh my gosh, all my friends are all gone. The and he saw the Dulocs running away with him. So he was like, well, I don't know how to use one of these, but I gotta do it anyway. And he hopped in a hang glider and chased after them. Holy cannoli. It was his first time ever riding one. And when he got there, he was almost too late, because as he arrived, they're about to eat his little sister. Ugh. They're about to chop her head off and eat her. That's what Dulocs did? They eat baby Ewoks. They love eating walklings. Ugh. Bad people. Tebow is able to fend them off, able to rescue all the walklings and come back. And he realized then that, like, maybe I should use these powers for a good purpose instead of letting all my friends get kidnapped. And so he became an apprentice shaman under Logre. I think this story is even better if you, like, picture it as actually Tim Tebow. Yeah. Tim Tebow's like, they're going to eat my little sister. This is my only time ever doing a hang glider. I, I, I have no choice. I got to do it. It's like hang gliding across the forest to get his little sister, and presumably while praying. Yeah, he took a knee on the hang glider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and fell off and plunged to his death. That's In the result. end zone. <laughs> yes. Very good at football. So he discovered he had these really strong force powers under Low Gray. He could communicate with forest creatures and summon them. As well. Dude. So he could, like, talk to the animals and bring the animals to his aid. Sweet. He's a forest boy, for sure. Uh, it was Tebow's party that eventually captured the rebels in that net trap. Uh, Chewie decided to grab the meat from. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was his trap he set up. Oh, my God. Good job, Tebow. Bagged a Wookiee. Yeah. So he brought them back to the village as traps. And, you know, Loki's like, let's sacrifice them. And Tebow's like, I don't know, maybe not. But anyway, after the story was told and they joined the village, Tebow sent out a message to all the other Ewok tribes in the area to join the fight against the Empire. Yes. And he was kind of a poet. He wrote in beautiful Ewokese that even Logre thought was beautiful. Even Logre with his cold black heart, his his cowardly heart, it, his his bully's heart. It grew three sizes after he read Tebow's beautiful message. I mean, like, he still wanted aid. to murder people, but... Yeah, yeah. He was one of the Ewoks that was playing drums on Stormtrooper helmets at the end. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. So he's a musician as well. Yep. And we mentioned this earlier. He was played by Jack Purvis. Yes! Who also played Gonk. That's right! And the Chief Jawa and the Chief Ugnaught. So, so he was just, like, all kinds of roles. Yeah, but he's also Tebow. Cool. The Force-sensitive Ewok warrior. Cool little guy. Awesome. He didn't become the village shaman, but he did still manage to help out and, like, do rituals. And Why didn't he become fight. a village shaman? He was more into, like, hanging out with Wiccan, going on adventures and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. They're buds. So, yeah, those are some of the main Ewoks in the village that you might be seeing in the movies. They also do a lot of talking. In Ewokies? Yes, so, they do. Yep, nub. So if you ever go to Bright Tree Village, I want to kind of help you out with some Ewokies. Oh my gosh, I love how you always teach me the language. Again, from the the Ben Burt book. Yes. Travel Guide. And so when you first meet an Ewok and you go to the village, they might try poking you with a spear. Yes. That's not because they're trying to kill you. Oh, that's just because like, they're, they're, they're curious. trying to make you feel good. They're trying to feel you out. Oh. But if they keep doing it and they go, ulu, ulu. They're sizing you up to eat you. Oh, so, what? Me? I'm like bigger than that. So don't say, if you're saying ululu, you might want to back up slowly. Oh. Get back to your speeder. What's ululu mean? It means, I don't know. It means it's like I'm t- sizing you up to eat you. Oh, Tasty, wow. tasty. So watch out for that. Do they but, eat human beings? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Ewoks are vicious. They'll eat anything. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is like totally changing my perspective of Ewoks. I never thought, I thought they ate nuts and berries well, and stuff. The dark rituals and neurotoxins didn't change your perspective? <laughs> The net traps for hunting didn't change your perspective. Like, <laughs> like sacrificing strangers to dark gods. Didn't change your perspective. Um, no. Okay. But this does. So instead of, you know, if they start to poke you, you know, pull out some of your trinkets you have on you, shiny objects, small gadgets, things that will impress them with yes. your magic abilities. And you have to say, Yaya Nula Girota. Yaya Nula Girota. That means greetings. I'm a friend. Oh, okay. And then they're like, oh, you're a friend. See, not many people speak okay, Ewokese. Well, we won't eat so you then. They'll be impressed. They're like, oh, we can't kill this person. They know our language. Oh, yeah, they're worth, they're, they're worth living then. And if you want to freak them out a little bit, you could also say, Chi Womak, Bontnapamak. Chi Womak, Bontnapamak. Says, beware, I have great power. Ooh. I mean, compared to them, I do. I'm like bigger. Yeah. I'm bigger than that. I just kick them. Yeah. Drop kick them. Yeah. Why do they know that? Well, now they will. So you take it, they take you back to their village, not tied up, hopefully, and you're they're eating a bunch of like Endor chickens because they do eat chickens. That's okay. one of the species of Endor. Uh, you can cast your hand over it with your great power and say "Kini chatu tomo tipip." Kini chatu tomo tipip. That means blessings on your fowl. 
Oh, okay. Very specific. Great. So I know how to say I'm a friend and how to bless their chickens. Yes. And also say you have great power. Now, maybe you want to go on a tour of Endor. Ewoks are happy to show you around if you give them presents. And so you can say, Koro Bingi Miyoto Jiruni Death Star. Koro Bingi Miyoto Jiruni Death Star. Can you guide me to the Death Star ruins? Oh, wow. This thing's all kinds of stuff crashed on Endor. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They can show you around. Did the whole star crash on Endor? Because I feel like it was probably about the same size. Well, remember we talked about this a little bit, about the, the rumored Endor Holocaust. Yes. And how most of the debris got sucked into a wormhole. That's right, including with, the glove. Including the glove of Darth Vader. Yes. And so the pieces that rained down were just chunks. Just chunks. And also like, you know. So can you guide me to the chunks? Guide me to the chunks. I'm going to see some chunks. I've traveled a long way. I'm not leaving without seeing some chunks. Give me some Death Star chunks. That's another moon. That's a chunk of a moon. That's not a chunk of a moon. That's a chunk of a space station. The second Death Star. That's how they said it. That's how they say it. All right. We can count with them as well as we're walking through the forest. We can count and sing and stuff. So let's count together. All right. Choo. Choo. Fick. Fick. Chim. Chim. Hoji. Hoji. Nila. Nila. Nidla. Nidla. Vu. Vu. Jadu. Jadu. Koki. Koki. Adiza. Adiza. We count it to ten. That is me counting all the chunks. It is. And then when you count them all, you can say, Yabnab. Yup, nub! Means hooray. Hooray! And as you're walking through the, through the forest, you can also sing a little song with them. This is a ancestral folk song, thanking the forest for its many offerings. So I'll sing it once. You can join in when you want to. Okay. So it's kind of like a up and down folksy sort of march through the woods song. All right, I'm ready. Dugandooka, lula, lula, noona, goonga, luda, noodla, dugandooka. It keeps repeating like that. Okay. Oh. If you want to see the lyrics with me here? Yeah, let's do it. It starts here. Dugan duka lula lula nuna gunga lula nula dugan duka lula lula nuna gunga lula nula dugan duka yeah. So we're rocked through the forest. That's, that's thanking the forest for as many offerings. Oh man! As we sing. In addition, uh, if you want to like really bring back the memories of the Death Star, you can sing the classic song. Yub nub. Ready? Yep. One, two, three. Yub nub. Each up. Yub nub. Ah, do me chippy chicky, nip dumpling, ooh ah, yawa, each up yawa. Ah, do me chippy chicky, nip dumpling, ooh ah. Go to chat to yum yum, go to chat to yawa, go to chat to glowa. Alleluia, glowa, each up glowa. You glow up, you need room, and you dig a good Go to chat to go, yum yum. Go to chat to do, yum wah. Go to chat to do, yum wah. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Yum nub. Yum nub. So translate it out. It's talking about freedom. Yeah, but it's freedom. We got freedom. And now that we can be free, come on, let's celebrate. Power. We got power. Celebrate the freedom. Celebrate the power. Celebrate the glory. Celebrate the love. Glory. We found glory. The power showed us the light. And now we all live free. Celebrate the light. Freedom, celebrate the might, power, celebrate the fight, glory, celebrate the love. Oh, but my question is, who exactly was oppressing them before? The, uh, Dulocs. I don't know. Like, because the they weren't really stuck. It didn't seem like the Empire was cracking down on them that hard. Not really, it no. It seemed like they were kind of doing their own thing. Kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, just putting that out there. You are putting that out there. I think Ewoks would... would Maybe I have some argument with that, but they're free. I mean, all I can agree with is that they're free, and when they help them be free, with the power and the freedom and the glory, forever and ever, amen. To eat uh, more man flesh. To eat more man flesh. Hooray! Hooray! Celebrate the love! So, a little behind the scenes here. Yeah. Uh, ben Burt based the language of Iwakis on Kalmyk Oriat. Whoa. It's a dialect spoken by Russians of Kalmyk ethnicity. I'm pricing that totally wrong. It's K-A-L-M-Y-K. Well, all the Kalmyk listeners Kalmyk. that we have, I'm sure, outraged. Like, 
Oh, comrade, this is a terrible podcast. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so to make the language, he uh, Ben Burt recorded an 80-year-old Kalmyuk woman to speak tales of her people through her native tongue. Ooh. And then recorded the sounds, and the various actors imitated the portions of the recording. Wow. So that's where Ewokies comes from. That's so cool. Yes. So... I don't know. That, that's some rundown of Ewokies, the Bright Tree Village. Kind of a grab bag of Ewok facts, but hope you learned something. Hope you enjoyed it. I did. I appreciate their culture. I do, too. Once they decide to eat my yummy, yummy man flesh. Yeah. So, you know, think about that when you're talking about the Hobbit culture next week. Because that's where they came from. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, well, either came from or turned into. They came into. from or turned into. So One or the other. So can compare and contrast a little bit, maybe. How should we end this? Um, well, well, usually um, we end with the very, I mean, you say usually last two episodes, we end with a very important random fact off the various Wikipedia oh, and yes. artists. And you really want to stick around for that because that's really the most academic part of our podcast. Yeah. Um, the other but, parts are just garbage. But, you know, if you like what you heard today, rate us up on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you hear podcasts. Let us know what you think. You can email us at whatslicesabersprecious at gmail.com. We have a website, whatslicesabersprecious.com. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. If you search for those things, you can find them there. Um, we post things somewhat regularly, so check it out if you're into social media. Hope you enjoyed our episode today. Joanna, do you have a, a, a last Arda fact yeah. to share with the yeah, class? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay. It's, it's a fact. It's about... Orgillion, the day of the stars. Okay. This is the first day of the Elven week. Yeah, that's really funny, because my random article is about Zelday. Whoa! Which is a day in the Galactic Standard Week named after the Zell of Coruscant. Whoa! How about that? What do you know about that? Well, I'll tell you. The Elvish naming convention uh, of the weeks was passed on to the Numenorians. Okay. And then through them to the peoples of Middle-earth... The ancient hobbits translated the name as Stare and Day, and by Frodo's time, its name in the Shire was Stir Day. Sounds like Saturday to me. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, it does sound like Saturday. Um, I guess it would be more equivalent to Sunday since it was the first day of the week, but... Okay, okay. That's really well thought out. Yeah. Let me read you a bit from the Galactic Standard Week. So you're saying this is not as well thought out? There's five days listed here. Yes. There's Prime Day, okay. Syntax Day, yes. Tongs Day, Zell Day, okay. Bendu Day. Okay. But some locales also had other names for the week, including Thursday and Saturday. Wait, what? Yeah. Go, 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 what? Okay, that's super weird. So go like Prime Day, Sex Day, Zell Day, Thursday? In conclusion, good job, Tolkien. Bad job, Lucasfilm. Or whoever made that part up. Yes. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk Thanks, to you next everybody. Week. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Love and kisses. Mwah. Bye bye.